0: Hello, I'm Rachel Llewellyn, New Narratives Editor-in-Chief. Thousands of protesters have taken to the streets across Indonesia in recent weeks as tensions have risen following the passage of a controversial omnibus law on the 5th of October that demonstrators fear will destroy jobs instead of creating them. Demonstrators have clashed with riot police across the country as authorities deployed tear gas and water cannon in an attempt to quell the unrest. Today, we discuss the recent protests, the historical background and impact of demonstrations in Indonesia, and what the future may bring with the upcoming regional elections. If you enjoy what we're doing, please do support our work by becoming a member of New Narrative at newnarrative.com join. Memberships start at just $52 a year, that's just one US dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com donate. And check out our website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's the interview. Thank you so much for joining me today, um, Ian and uh, Damai. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. And today we are going to be discussing the riots that have been happening across Indonesia because of the uh, omnibus law. For this episode, what I want to focus on is the demonstrations or protests or riots, depending on how you want to look at them, uh, and less on the actual law itself, because I think we've seen a lot of analysis about the law. um, And I think it's much more interesting to unpack uh, the side of the riots. But just for our listeners who don't know the background to this, if we could focus on the omnibus law just quickly uh, linked to these protests, what is it that the people are protesting about with regards to the omnibus law? Like, what is the crux of it, and why are they uh, upset and angry? Uh,
1: again, I, I think a lot of the the technical discussions about the laws aren't really what's driving the protests, and there's a broad kind of apprehension of what they involve. Uh, and that's to simplify it, you know, this idea that these are laws that uh, that are designed to facilitate the interests of investors, uh, particularly foreign investors, of developers. Uh, and of course, there's a general perception that, you know, they're intertwined with the interests of uh, political elites as well. So there's a real sense that these are laws that uh, are more of the same uh, in terms of facilitating kind of official corruption. Uh, there's also, particularly through a, through labor unions, uh, uh, an acute awareness that, the kind of neoliberal provisions of these, a general idea that uh, encouraging investors is the same as deregulation, uh, that this will undermine key kind of gains that workers have made uh, over the past couple of decades in terms of basic uh, wages and conditions. So I think there's a broad based concern that there'll be a deterioration of uh, working conditions, particularly in the midst of pandemic when employment is unincreased, work precarity uh, has increased significantly for a lot of the population. Uh, And I think another set of issues uh, is also concerns uh, around the environment. And particularly you see a lot of student uh, groups highlighting this factor, uh, that these um, omnibus laws will lead to, you know, a lessening of so-called red tape to use the language of sort of neoliberal deregulation to facilitate investment. But this will have potentially devastating impacts on uh, Indonesia's uh, natural environment. And I think that more broadly is often translated through a framework of ideas of sovereignty and the idea that these are you know, natural resources that belong to the Indonesian people and that these laws, broadly speaking, are going to put them up for sale uh, to foreigners. And, and I think all of those sort of things together have really driven the sort of popular sentiment that we've seen through the protests.
0: Okay, excellent, thank you. Uh, Dama. you work for uh, Protection International, which is an NGO that defends human rights activists. So this is very much, I think, probably in your wheelhouse, but could you give us some examples of uh, parts of the law, the omnibus law, that protesters are particularly uh, highlighting through these demonstrations?
2: I think since in the beginning, uh, this law is really lack of transparency and lack of uh, participation, lack of the involvement of the... Indonesian people in general, as you know, that the, uh, the one who create the law, I mean, the, 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 the committee who create the law, all are from the business circles, right? So if you ask me about what are the particular articles, which is uh, really hurt uh, the people, uh, mostly are, as uh, Ian already said, it is about the, about the workers' uh, situation. So, as you know that there are a lot of, uh, I think, at least four drafts of this law, yeah? It is, it is of course, confusing because we try to, to catch up uh, about this law, it is It is very. It is not easy to catch up about uh, this, all of these drafts. So this is like uh, manipulative uh, ways of working of this, uh, this, this regime. So this is, this is the, the issue that, as I already mentioned, a lack of many things, yeah, the transparency, the the honesty of the government, the the participation. This is what make people are very angry. And don't forget, this is uh, I think this is the continuation also for the a year ago about the the campaign of uh, reformasi di korupsi, yeah. So how reform is being corrupted and how the weaken of the uh, Uh, Corruption Eradication Commission happened last year. So I think this is the continuation also. It's not like, uh, not discontinuity, but it is a continuation, the movement at least, what I see.
0: That leads perfectly into the second part of what I wanted to say, which is that, um, so people have singled out parts of the omnibus law, like you said, like paid leave, maternity leave, things like that, but it seems to me that um, it's clearly a kind of a continuation, as you said, or a culmination of many other things. And I'm actually going to quote both of you back to yourselves, which may be a little weird, but I spoke to both of you uh, last week when I was writing a piece about this, um, about what you thought the background was. Uh, so Ian, you said, the extent, scale and ferocity of the nationwide demonstrations and reports in response to the omnibus law, is reflective of the anxiety and anger rippling through broad segments of Indonesian society. Could you expand a little bit on that? Um, I, I, Really, what I sort of want to say is, can you set the scene for us, for our listeners, about, you know, the general mood in Indonesia at the moment?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, of course, like everywhere in the world, Indonesia has been suffering uh, under the Covid nineteen pandemic, which has had uh, obviously uh, uh, horrible health outcomes, but also crippling economic incomes uh, outcomes, I should say, for many uh, Indonesians. So that's sort of has exacerbated what was already, I think, uh, widespread um, dissatisfaction. And in a sense, I think it's sort of the kind of anger that comes out of um, great disappointment. Uh, of course, there was. In 2014, when Jokowi first emerged as a presidential candidate, huge hopes from broad segments of Indonesian society that this was, you know, a genuine uh, reformist-minded leader who was going to bring a new kind of politics to the country. Uh, and he sort of stumbled through his first term and, and for many people there has been a slow sort of erosion of that uh, image uh, coming into this sort of last election uh presidential election last year where again he was faced off against Prabowo, a very polarized political environment uh, but nonetheless i st- still think uh, that many people were hoping that well maybe now will be the time in a second term when he can really sort of um, assert some kind of reformist vision and it's been of course almost the contrary you've seen the consolidation of some of the worst uh, elite elements within his administration. His own opponent in the presidential campaign, Prabowo Subianto, was appointed to a minister. Uh, There'd been an ongoing process of what many many scholars have described as sort of so-called democratic decline, but an erosion in core uh, commitments to sort of liberal ideas of democracy or progressive ideas of democracy, including uh, issues around press freedom, uh, freedom of expression. Uh, and this is coupled with um, the failure of his sort of uh, big picture idea that infrastructure and that he was the kind of economics president that he was going to kickstart the Indonesian economy. Now, all, none of these things have occurred. And the pandemic has exacerbated this further. In particular, the government, national governments, really, particularly at the start, very uh, befuddled and contradictory response. So I think all of these things have been brewing. Uh, along, you've seen the erosion of some of the few institutions of state that people really respected, in particular the KPK, the, you know, the, the anti-graft and corruption commission, that's been significantly weakened under this administration. Uh, and that this overall uh, has led a lot of people from uh, working class and poor backgrounds through to middle and upper middle class uh, Indonesians uh, deeply disillusioned with the orientation of the administration. So I think when I, when you quoted what I said to you uh, last week, uh, even though the sort of the demonstrations have had, in some respects, a traditional format. By traditional format, I say they're spearheaded by university students, have a, a long history, a sort of the moral voice uh, of, of critique uh, against uh, admin, you know, uh, administrations going way back to uh, Indonesia's struggle for independence and also trade unions. But you see a whole range of... I guess, a new generation of high school students, uh, of working class young people, uh, a whole array of of, uh, different social and economic backgrounds being involved in these protests in different ways. And I think that really speaks to also maybe a generational gap between uh, an administration that still has many of the same old figures who've been around since the new order uh, and a younger generation who's frustrated uh, at the direction the country's taking, the slowness of reform, or in fact, the backsliding away from reform, uh, coupled with the, you know, really crippling circumstances of the pandemic.
0: Yes, it certainly has come at about time uh, when you consider that we're also in the middle of a global pandemic as all of this is, is happening. Um, to go to you, Danai, um, well, I was reading a piece um, in preparation for this called The Psychology of Riots and Why It's Never Just Mindless Violence. Uh, which is a piece in The uh, the Conversation. And it's talking about the film The Joker, and it says, Gotham City is depicted as a powder keg of lawlessness, inequality, corruption, cuts, and all-round despair. And I thought that sounds quite familiar, actually. Um, and you when I spoke to you uh, Ibu Dama you used a phrase which I really love because I think it really encapsulates the mood you said it is a climax of protest due to anger and frustration yeah can you elaborate a little bit more on that on the background of anger and frustration that we're seeing
2: I think uh, as uh, Ian already uh, mentioned about the pandemic the, this pandemic is as we know the unemployment is increase, yeah. And of course, it's, it's. Uh, can you imagine people cannot get, go out, cannot work, so they have to stay at home. And then the, uh, the government also provides uh, like a small amount of money uh, for the, uh, the poor uh, family, whatever, yeah. But as you know, the, the corruption is, cannot control now in Indonesia as we know that uh, the Corruption Eradication Commission is is uh, being crippled, being, um, how to say, being like frozen. So this is, uh, it is the, it is the serious issue as, and other things also, yeah, uh, Ian already mentioned about delusion of this uh, society, Indonesian society. And actually what I want to say, sorry to say, this is the, This is a traitor to democracy and human rights and environment. Because uh, when uh, for 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 me as the activist has has been activist since my student years, I never uh, I never have I never did a vote. But in the first time because I try to believe with the system, then most of the activists they they believe with, with, with this president. But you know what happened? So this is, this is, of course, this is, people are really like, uh, put their trust to, 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 to the first person in Indonesia, to the leader, and then we know then the the, the first term is also, we already lead, uh, we, we can see the, the sign of uh, unfulfillment of the, of the promise of the Nawacita. I don't know whether you know the term Nawacita, the nine, Nine, nine aims or nine, nine dreams. Uh, due to due, due to pandemic, then this this authoritarian uh, regime also wants to practice the dictatorship in the context of the pandemics. It it doesn't make uh, them stop this corporation, this this regime. They, they still uh, will continue uh, their their repression to to the to the people to the to the environment, it is still going on.
0: I think what's interesting is that both of you have kind of mentioned this sort of, well, things like dictatorship and this, this movement back to the new order. Um, just for our listeners, just to explain a little bit, uh, Indonesia's current president, uh, Joko Widodo, was kind of hailed as this new hope for Indonesia. In fact, I think he was featured in Time magazine. I think that that was our great new hope or something was the, uh, the headline. Uh, because he's he was the first Indonesian president to come from outside the ranks of the uh, political or religious elite and was billed very much as this man of the people. Um, but as you said, in uh, particular, Ian, I think he's still surrounded by many of the same faces that we saw back in the, the 80s and the 90s. And a few of them have had quite a lot to say about the recent protests, which is interesting. So, for example, we had... Uh, Luhut Panjaitan, who is the um, Minister for Maritime Affairs and Investment, saying that um, he thought that there were ambitious political figures behind the protests. Um, We also had the State Intelligence Agency, BIN, who said that they know that this is about Dalang. Dalang are puppet masters in Javanese uh, shadow theatre. Um, we also had Prabowo, who is, you mentioned as well, Ian, who is the Minister for Defence. Um, and I saw your tweet, Ian, about a piece where Prabowo, where you put, Prabowo claims foreign interests behind the demonstrations against omnibus laws designed to entice foreign investment. So Prabowo's um, view on this was that it was foreign actors who were behind the protests, which are meant to be about foreign investment. And I'm not quite sure how that, how quite how you imagine that works, but what would you say about um, the fact that all of these people, including the police, are blaming it on I've seen puppets, foreign actors, anarchist groups, uh, people on drugs?
1: Particularly, uh, you know, some of the accusations uh, around this idea, and it's almost a kind of a narrative set piece that you see throughout uh, you know contemporary Indonesian history, and, and one that really began uh, and was consolidated through the New Order uh, regime from the you know mid 1960s up until uh, 1998. And, and as you mentioned, some of the figures who have been commenting on the demonstrations now, uh, you know they they uh, are figures from that time. Many of them from with military uh, backgrounds, and there's this general sort of narrative trope that any kind of uh, demonstration can really only be legitimately conducted by a narrow range of groups. And the tradition within Indonesia has been that uh, university students uh, have been seen as an accepted, uh, within uh, very specific limits, uh, legitimate voice of sort of moral conscience for the nation. And this goes back in many respects to the role of of youth, of Pamuda, Uh, as at the front line of Indonesian revolutionary nationalism and a lot of sort of nationalist uh, tropes around uh, youth as this kind of moral and political uh, force. Uh, And so when you see uh, broader-based sentiments expressed, and that includes an an array of uh, people who may not be formally aligned to an institution or any particular kind of group engaging in protest, and, and and I think we've seen elements of that over the past week, but also the demonstrations from uh, last year, uh, a common response is this idea that there's elite manipulation, that there are groups uh, intentionally trying to uh, turn legitimate protests by accepted actors, be they students or those within uh, established trade unions, uh, to turn these legitimate protests into forms of rioting and and social uh, unrest. Uh, and the kind of the interesting irony of that kind of uh, conspiracy theory is that uh, in time straight Indonesian history, it's actually been quite correct. And if you go back to and you know, in, in sort of in preparation for this, this discussion this, tonight, I was looking back at some of the uh, history of the New Order in the 1970s. And there was one event in particular uh, that was really a kind of pivotal event. Uh, uh, that helps to explain, I think, a lot of these tropes that we hear today, and that was the so-called uh, Malari incidents of 1974. Uh, to try and sort of sum it up briefly, uh, the New Order came to power in the 19, mid-1960s, a wave of violence throughout the country, but it did have some levels of support through certain sectors of of society, including... Uh, students uh, and some uh, sort of uh, liberal activists who were unhappy with with the Communist Party and their influence. Now, by the the early 1970s, the sort of nature of the regime had revealed itself. Many of these elements uh, had become unhappy with the administration. And you saw this culminating in January, 1974, only over two days, uh, uh, demonstrations led initially uh, by students uh, against corruption, against growing inequality, against the um, role of foreign investment, and it targeted at that time a visit to Indonesia by the then Prime Minister of uh, Japan. Uh, and what you saw um, was that uh, factions within the military, in particular General Sumitro, as was the deputy head of the military at the time, and other factions uh, deliberately used agent provocateurs to turn what was uh, a protest against uh the regime into rioting, and that later descended into uh, uh, racialized violence targeting uh, ethnic Chinese. And that was um, deliberately instigated as a part of inter-elite kind of contestations. It led to Sumitro being removed from the military, the rise of Ali Mortopo, who became a very influential uh, figure uh, in Suharto's administration, and one of the key ideas that uh, Mutopo put forward was the idea of the floating mass. And the floating mass idea was that the Indonesian population should not be involved in politics, that they shouldn't be involved in the mass mobilizations that characterized the 1950s and 60s in Indonesia. Uh, And this subsequently led to the sort of the institutionalized view that when the people did hit the streets uh, that there was some kind of sinister figure who was prompting them to do so. It became almost a trope to delegitimize sort of ex- explosions of resentment and anger at the administration, but also to delegitimize uh, the protests uh, and actions of uh, activists, students and other groups. So this kind of tropes that protests are being manipulated has a sort of basis in fact, but it's become almost a cliche that you hear uh, to explain mass mobilizations of the people, and, and mass mobilizations were something that the, the New Order was utterly terrified of. It was its greatest fear that the Indonesian people uh, would just uh, emerge on the streets, that they would uh, voice their angers, uh, et cetera, and that it would descend to chaos. It was sort of a particular paranoia, and you see that reflected in the kind of discourses of of, of Prabowo, of, of Luhut Panjaitan, uh, and others who are really got their, you know, they came into power essentially through their trajectories through the, new, through the new order.
0: Yes. It's interesting that you say that it's a trope that has some basis in fact, because um, another trope that I've seen, and I also believe this has some basis in fact, but tell me what you think uh, both Ian and um, Ibu Damai. Uh, the other one that people really like to trot out is that um, people are paid to protest in Indonesia and that this is somehow a lucrative, uh, thing to do to be paid to show up to protests. Um, a few years ago in Medan, where I am in North Sumatra, I think it the going rate was fifty thousand rupiah per day plus lunch, um, for people to come and uh show support for a cause. What do we think about that one? That um, that yeah, that people are paid and come and have a day out and lunch and and then leave again. Do you think that that is a trope or does it have some basis in fact?
2: no i think uh because some people will say that oh uh, you you do you do demonstration so you get you get paid so it is uh, unfair yeah because uh, as far as i know many workers they don't get paid even they have to pay by themselves even they lost uh, their wages because they they involved with the demonstration so of course, there are uh, people getting paid because of the demonstration. Yes, but who has the money to pay them? We have to to to, to go uh, to go beyond this. I mean, we have to to see uh, who who is the boss who can pay this, and is this uh, who the corporate, the intelligent? Who who? We we have to be critical on this. So we have we have to to looking. Uh, Looking deep into the history of Indonesia because I think history is also repeat itself and also I think the uh, we have to be critical because if I if I see the pattern usually the demonstration is it is peaceful but usually after like um, after six o'clock or seven around the seven then the chaos is it it is uh, started yeah so we have to see. Or oh, what kind of pattern of this uh, this uh, destu- destructive demonstration? Because not all demonstrations are, are 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 riots. It is it is unfair, because demonstration is is the right of the people.
0: It's interesting that you said that um, that most protests in Indonesia are peaceful protests, um, and then tend to descend into uh, more chaos in the evenings. I was here on the ground in Medan, I went to the protests over two days um, and I've been to a few protests before and what struck me about this one, in Medan anyway, was that it became very violent very quickly. Um, I absolutely agree with you, uh, Ibudamai, that usually it's the cover of darkness that brings um, the rioting as opposed to the peaceful protesting, but that didn't really happen this time, almost immediately. Um, as soon as it started, the police started uh, firing tear gas. They used water cannons um, and quite large parts of the city were affected. Um, people were setting fire to things. I went out yesterday and there's still rubble everywhere from where people were throwing rocks and things like that. So this protest, for me anyway, seemed particularly violent and to escalate quite quickly and there's been a lot of criticism of the police uh, and the military in some places for having used tear gas and for having been pictured openly hitting people and arresting people. Um, And so what's interesting as well is that both of you, we seem to struggle to talk about this without talking about 1998. Uh, It seems that that there are very similar parallels there. Um, Do you think, Ian, that these protests have been
1: particularly violent this time? Um, well, I mean, I, I haven't had the same experience on the ground that you have, but uh, observing from afar, um, you know, I, I think it's always pays to be cautious when sort of uh, trying to attribute the agency of, of protests and violence uh you know it's a it's a cliched term uh, uh, the phrase that's used for you know from martin luther king about uh, you know riots being the violence of, of the unheard and i think there are elements of that that you can see in these demonstrations there's a lot of young working class teenagers and youth uh the discourse from the police is to describe many of these as anarcho or anarchists and i think that's one of the interesting phenomena of the last few years at least has been the growth of uh, anarchist groups and networks particularly amongst young people uh, I think again and it's it's impossible to, to talk about these sort of current events uh, as, as you mentioned without reflecting on sort of legacies uh, of the new order and with such sort of um, the stripping out of Indonesian politics throughout the new order of ideology uh, and of sort of genuine sort of coherently formed uh, ideological positions and that was part of the floating mass idea that indonesian politics would be de-ideologized uh that you have now i think a new generations that are engaging globally online uh, with all kinds of um political critiques uh, and that you're seeing uh this bypassing what in the past were some of the sort of hierarchical filters that students, university students, middle class, educated, had a kind of uh, exclusive or legitimate access to particular kinds of ideas about what they'd like Indonesian society to be or where they should, where they think it should go. They were going to be the leaders of tomorrow. Well, now you've got a lot of young people uh, in poor backgrounds uh, and you know and I know this from work I've done in the past on urban poverty in Indonesia you know many young people are acutely aware that social mobility of any kind is almost impossible. there's a sort of a nihilism it's just not going to get better and I think on one level some of the expressions of anger and violence in these protests is legitimate expressions I say legitimate insofar as they're genuine expressions of anger, uh, that many young people feel and senses of futility towards a circum sets of circumstances where they see things just not getting any better for themselves. So I think that has to be recognized as an element of the demonstrations uh, and to resist the temptation. And I think it's a very sort of well-enculturated one that you see in Indonesian political discourse to immediately associate any kind of violence in protest, firstly with... Um, Sort of agent provocateurs who are playing a game on a, on a part of elites, uh, or that it's it's the result of excessive, you know, of excessive force deliberately provoked by the security apparatus. Now, all of those things can happen, and I think if you look at what's happened over the past week, uh, there's elements of it. The police have been extremely violent and extremely brutal at times, and it's clear uh, that they've uh, intentionally or otherwise escalated demonstrations that weren't. Appearing to be inherently violent, to having elements of violence, and when I say violence, I'm talking largely about forms of property destruction. You know, the burning of um, bus shelters, uh, etc. Uh, there's also the possibility that you did have uh, elements within the crowds who were trying to provoke violence. This is, a, you know, it's a not un, not uncommon phenomenon. We saw under after the uh, presidential elections. Uh, Last year, when there were supporters of uh, the losing candidate, Prabowo Subianto, uh, had protests in central Jakarta, there were clearly elements who were mobilised to try and turn those demonstrations into something more violent. And that's part of a kind of a longer, as I, as I mentioned earlier, a longer kind of gambit or game plan that's very well entrenched in, 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 in new order educated elements of the military in particular of creating a kind of crisis moment uh, through which they can seize power or seize control. So there, there's that kind of game often plays out at the same time. So I think, you know, to sort of, I guess, answer your, your, your question or, or, or comment there is I think there's probably a lot of things going on at the same time. You have genuine anger and that often expresses itself in, by young people through this kind of action. We don't have to agree with it, but this happens. You know, there's a lot of things that go on in these these contexts uh, and we have to resist the temptation to have a kind of a singular narrative explanation for it. Um, so I think that, that sort of different elements are causing uh, this violence that we've seen. Yes. So I think
0: you're absolutely right, Ian, in trying not to, um, I guess, pigeonhole these riots. Uh, yeah coming from any one group or any one group being at fault for perhaps escalating violence um, on either side. Yeah. So we see a long history of protests in Indonesia which sort of, I guess, spiked in the 60s, definitely spiked in 1998, but Ibu Damai, why do you think that protest is so important in Indonesia? Or why do people take to the streets in Indonesia?
2: Yeah, because uh, if we want to change the situation, for example, if we if we want to uh, arrange something uh, through the bureaucracy, and it's like the door is closed, are closed. Not only one door, many doors are closed. So sometimes we we have to do the to make this uh, to to put a same to put. Angry. We have to get. Uh, we have to scream, and then it can change. See, that's the issue, <laughs> because because as we know that the democracy in Indonesia actually it's it's still very young. Yeah, it's not that the old democracy.
0: Um, a, lo- a few lawyers I know here in Medan have been saying that the best way to um, approach this is to challenge the omnibus law in the constitutional court. But I imagine that's going to take time and uh, if it happens at all. And so I imagine that protests are are the best way of of voicing displeasure uh, that this law was pushed through so quickly. Um, We've talked a lot about the past, which is obviously very important, but I would now like to focus a little bit on the future. We are moving into election season because it is Pilkada, which is uh, the regional elections that will happen all across Indonesia on, I think I'm right, December the 8th. Um, There has been some talk of calling them off because of COVID, but the government, um, I think, can't quite make up its mind yet about whether we're going to go ahead or not. But if we do, um, how are these protests potentially going to affect Pilkada?
1: Okay, sure. Well, um, regarding the regional, uh, the Pilcada that that had been um, originally scheduled for, I think it was, uh, was it August this year? August or September. Yeah, August, September. Now because of the pandemic had been pushed to December and of course there's been a lot of people arguing that it should be postponed further because of the the public health risk but the the national government seems uh, very focused on pushing ahead. I think this is interesting because it really um, creates a genuine issue of national significance uh, that different candidates will they'll need to in one way or another adopt a position uh, on this and, and it's clearly important to a lot of people so you've seen i guess some regional leaders already staking a claim uh, as in a sense uh, an opposition to the national government you sort of ridwan kamil who many people have sort of touted as a, as a potential future president uh, state you know his opposition Uh, to the omnibus laws. Um, Coming up to the elections, this is, for him, likely a very, you know, these are very popular positions to to take in West Java, which is some of the largest sort of manufacturing estates and, of course, some of the largest union uh, organisation in the entire country. And you've also seen other regional leaders, uh, mayors at the mayor level, city level uh, and provincial level. Uh, A number also state their opposition. So I think this introduces... Uh, you know, a, a substantive dynamic to these elections that may have been perhaps much more fragmented prior to this. You know, candidates will be uh, forced to adopt a position on, these, um, on the omnibus laws and the implications that these hold. And this is a, clearly an important issue for a lot of uh, Indonesians. So I, I think that makes it a much, potentially a much more interesting contest than it was looking to be. Um, At the same time, you've got the old issues emerging of of dynasty building. Of course, we've got Jokowi's son and other relatives running. And and many people have already commented that part of the sort of push to get the elections going ahead, regardless of the pandemic, was that there's a desire amongst elites to consolidate their power through these kinds of dynastic um, and, and, and nepotistic networks. But this kind of throws a spanner in the works now. It's a genuine issue that candidates are going to have to adopt a position on. And if the, the national government, of course, has pushed the omnibus laws in, there's an opportunity for opposition figures to emerge um, by articulating uh, you know, a counter position that, that I think many voters will find potentially very uh, very enticing.
0: Yes, I think so too. And I think you're right. It, will, it definitely makes things more interesting. Um, the Democrats, I know, are having a field day with this. I saw a long tweet thread yesterday. Um, from the Democrats, all about, you know, oh, we should all be allowed to have our own opinions and things like that. Um, And really kind of going hard uh, against this. Um, What about you, Ibu Damae? Do you think we'll see more protests in the future? And then what about leading up to Pilkada and how it will affect Pilkada?
2: We have to really see how this uh, movement have the long breath, uh, to continue so we have to 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 really to see how they how we make uh, the movement is uh, sustained it's not um, uh, but I think uh, this week at least and next week I think we uh, the demonstration is still going on although it is not easy because it is really um, fragmented as we see there is like the Islamic group, two one two, and then also of course the student movement, which is uh, bring the the issue of uh, democracy and human right, and also of course the uh, uh, Democrat uh, party, who is uh, try to 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 gain the the influence. Also, as we know, and if you ask me about how how it is related to the to the pilkada to the Regional election. Uh, five years ago, when when we we talk about the local politics, it is really we have patience, yeah. We are eager to to info. but now it's it is it is meaningful that if we involve, it is uh, will bring the change. This is this is really this is really make heartbreaking, yeah, because because of the national politics it is uh, also influenced to the to the local politics because of the political parties are mostly are there is money politics if you don't have money you cannot run because i saw my friends who are the activists in the past and then now they become uh, they involved in the electoral politics they must they must have money if they don't have money, they cannot run. So it is not like in the Nordic countries. Then, when, when uh, if you want to be a politician, you just active in the uh, in the political party. Then you can can get uh, the voters. But but here, if you don't have money, then you cannot you cannot um, uh, get get to be a uh, uh, So this is this is really. If you ask me about ilkada it is it is really will bring the change. So it is a question question mark.
0: Okay, yeah, that's a good that's a good um, that's a good way to end actually, I think, uh, Ibu Damai to say that yes, it's probably Uh, we all have a question mark um, hanging over us or hanging over Indonesia at the moment with the demonstrations and with Pilkada. I think that's a a very good way of putting it. I have to say in my, from my experience, having been here for, uh, I first came here in 2006, but um, living here recently, um, I feel very tense. I feel like there's a tension in Indonesia at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that Pilkada will exasperate that as well. So, yeah, a rather tense, rather anxious time in Indonesia. But um, thank you so much to both of you for talking to me today. Um, that was very interesting to hear both your thoughts. And uh, yeah, as you said, Ibu Damai, maybe let's, <laughs> we'll end with a question mark, unfortunately, um, and see what happens in the next few months.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure. Makasih.
0: Our thanks to Ian and Damai for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asian Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narrative's Political Agenda, our podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Aisha from North Sumatra. Thank you so much for listening and Horace.